We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the midst of our series, The Ten Commandments. Bum, bum, bum. A look at the original commandments and how they align with Christ's law. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message.
and you go down Lakeshore Drive and you go right here along Sheridan Avenue and you go through all these, we don't know. We don't know, tomorrow's not promised, but in a city, this is one of the most dense areas in Chicago. This Rogers Park, West Rogers Park, Edgewater, Uptown, Lincoln Square, this is Evanston, these, these communities, it is the most dense. If you were to go to a small town in America and there was 2,000 people in that small town, there would be 20 churches for those 2,000 people. There's, in these five neighborhoods, in Evanston and Skokie, there's over 250,000, over maybe 400,000 people if you include Evanston and Skokie within a 15-minute drive of this place. But there's probably not 20 gospel-preaching churches. And so it's important and vital that you're part of a church family for your own health, but it's also important for this community that you stay strong and you stay not ingrown just thinking about ourselves, but always remembering this church was started in this community to make a difference and to be a light. And, and when you're dwelling in unity with people from different continents and different heritages and different age groups and all your diversity and you love one another, that's a light to this neighborhood because that's unusual and it's rare. And so keep loving one another, keep being a light. And if you're we're a part of New Life Rogers Park, and you move. Don't stop praying for this place. I talked to Galen, and I prayed for him, and I prayed for you. And I, even there's a prayer line. You always want to wake up. It's 6 a.m. It's still going. <laughs> I call in on it sometimes. Call in at 6 a.m. and pray not just for each other, but pray for this neighborhood and this church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word this morning, your word is like a honeycomb. It's sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. And, Lord, we're going through a lot here in this place, Lord, from doctor's appointments this week to uh, trials with family and uh, uh, kids almost dying. And, Lord, all kinds of stuff, Lord. So many burdens, so many trials, so many tribulations. But, Lord God, we're not alone. We're not alone. You're with us, and you promised you would be with us, and you would not forsake us. You would not abandon us. You would not leave us. You'd be with us to the end of the age. So I pray that each person in this congregation, they would feel your presence, that they would know you're close, that they would know, Lord God, you've been with them through thick and thin. And I pray, Lord God, you would encourage them this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, in the book of Exodus, Moses, the leader of the Israeli people or Jewish people, was in Egypt. They came out into the desert. He went up on this mountain, and God gave us Ten Commandments. Of all the Ten Commandments, I mean, there's 600 and some estimate 613 laws in Genesis through Deuteronomy. But the Ten Commandments, God wrote with his own finger. So if you think about importance, this wasn't just where God inspired someone with his Holy Spirit. This is where God said, hey, I want you to get the point. I'm personally writing these out for you. Don't forget them. And as you've been going through the Ten Commandments, the first four start out and really focus on your relationship with God. You should have no other idols. You shouldn't use his name in vain. You should have a day of rest where you are refreshed spiritually. And he goes through the first four that are, are really upward. And then he goes through some that are more outward, like thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not lie. And it deals with our relationships with each other. But if you were to summarize these ten, it could come down to two. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Ten Commandments 
no, it's, it's, it has a lot of goals. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. But I heard Josh McDowell speak when I was a teenager, and this stuck with me for over 30 years. He said behind every no in the scriptures, there's two positives. There's two positives. When God says don't do something, he has two positives behind everything he's telling you not to do. And the reason is, is he's wanting to protect you from the consequences of those things. And that's a positive. Yeah. Don't commit adultery. Why? That just brings so much pain and brokenness and hurt to families and to your own soul. He's protecting you from consequences. You think about all the sexual diseases. God's wanting to protect you, and his protection's best. Amen. And he's also, that's the first positive. Everybody say protect. protect. The second is provide. Everybody say provide. provide. God's wanting to provide for you his best. He's wanted to provide for you like a heavenly father. Just like I want the best for my kids. God is perfectly holy. And he's wanted to provide for you his best. And so I mentioned Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell, when I was just a teenager, showed up in Miami. And he was doing this conference called True Love Waits. And you know, people had their ideas about it. But it really impacted me. Because I was coming out of a mother who had been with different men and divorced, remarried, lived with boyfriends. And I saw my stepfather cheat on my mom. I'm like just walking in the house, and there he's on the couch, sleep with some other lady. And, and I felt the pain of all that. And I became a believer at age 13. And at 13, nobody had ever talked to me about sex. And so I, I, my youth leaders took me to hear Josh McDowell, and he talked to us for three days about sex. And he told us God wanted to protect us. He wanted to provide for us. And what was interesting is I got into my college years, I'm just a normal human being, and just like any normal human guy, I have desires. Now here's the key. Our 10th commandment today says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. Should I covet your neighbor's house? And shall I say, we just got a new house. Thank you for all that were praying for us and for our house. Because a lot of you were praying for that. But my next door neighbor, there's like multiple families, typical Miami, living in the same house. And so there's mom, grandma, I don't know, brother, we don't even know how many people live in the house next door to us. But um, they have enough families and they're all pitching in for the house. So my next door neighbor had one of them, the young one of the young guys, has a beautiful Porsche. I mean, I have to walk out my door and look at my minivan and then see my neighbor's Porsche. And this is a good verse, because I think if he was writing it today, it says, Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's Porsche. Don't covet your neighbor's car. And so what's interesting is as you go through these commandments, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Um, there are things you do outwardly, but to not covet is an inward desire. Inward desire. And I'm going to focus a little bit because the word desire there, I'm going to focus a little bit about purity and, and, and desiring sex. So I remember just being a college student, and I remember what Josh McDowell taught me, and I was at this rally, 14, 15 years old, and I said, I'm going to wait for my wife. I'm not going to sleep with anybody until I get married. And by God's grace, Lord, help me. That's, that's my commitment. And uh, there's a whole 
you know, it's easy to say that, but it's not easy to actually live that out. But with God's help, a church family, memorizing scripture, prayer, and accountability, a lot of things go into that. But I'm, what, what was interesting is I came to New Life, and I was this college student, and we were experiencing, like, revival. I mean, hundreds of youth were coming to Christ, getting baptized, gangbangers, all kinds of different people on the southwest side. And you would say, wow, God is really moving. And we were just on fire. We were radical, and we would have these radical commitments to say, hey, the devil's trying to distract you. And so I made this commitment just for a year, one year, to say, hey, I'm not going to date anybody this year. I'm just going to take the time that I would be going out or trying to spend time talking to a girl on the phone. All that time that I would have used trying to find a wife, I'm going to use that to spend with God. And so I made this commitment for one year, God, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to be consumed with this. I'm just going to give you this desire. And so I made it, and then that whole year I just kind of failed, you know. I like go on a mission trip. I don't know if my wife's my beautiful wife, the most beautiful woman in the world, is back to that way. I don't know if she knew about this one, so I'm like, but I remember I went on this mission trip to Spain, and Spain they speak Spanish. And I had just made this commitment. Actually, I made the commitment for a year, and I was struggling, and started liking this girl, and I was like getting distracted. Even Pastor Ray's like, you look, you seem distracted. You're losing some of your focus. Nah, nah, I'm just hanging out with my friends too much. And anyways, but then I was like, you know what? I really am distracted. I said I wasn't going to think about this. This year was just for you, God. And so the next year I said, okay, Lord, I didn't do it this last year. I didn't keep my eyes focused on you. I'm going to, for this next year, I'm going to actually try again, Lord. And so it's January. I go to this mission trip to Spain, and they needed help with the light system. And so I'm at the sound booth. It's over here. Here's the light system. I'm running all the lights. They had just taught me, and I'm got all these, like, concert-style lights going. And then when the sermons would come, they sent a translator. It was a young college-age girl. And she's, like, translating, and she's kind of close because she has to whisper kind of in my ear. And for, like, three days, we have this girl. I'm like, she's kind of pretty. Maybe my wife is in Spain, you know? And my Lord's like, didn't you say this year you're not going to be thinking about that? And what I was learning, it was almost like a light switch. I could fuel those desires, I could dwell on them, I could think about them, I could start dreaming. I said, Lord, that's not for now, off. Just hit the switch. Oh, Lord, I'm here to hear you, I'm here to worship, I'm here to do my lights, this is just a translator, she ain't my future wife, I'm focused right now, you know? <laughs> and I'm saying this because you have desires in your heart, but I don't know about you, but you can learn to control your desires. You can fuel them, you can feed them, you can be consumed by them, and they can begin to consume you. Or you can begin to say, hey, I'm going to cultivate holy desire. I'm going to cultivate desires that, that, that are from God that aren't necessarily bad. There's good, godly desires. And we also have this old, sinful nature that has evil desires. It's still there. We have to, to crucify our flesh. we got to die daily. And so I'm saying all this because you... Right, if you're in this room, God doesn't want you to covet. He doesn't want you to covet your neighbor's wife. And you got to say, not just your neighbor's wife. He doesn't want you to covet your best friend's wife or husband. He doesn't want you to covet your brother or sister's wife or husband. Because, you know, you think about it. This is how sinful we can become. Right. Think about it. King Herod took his brother's wife and made him a man. It's like... You know, talk about the betrayal. Like, your brothers, you grow up, and all of a sudden your brother finds the woman of his dreams, they get married, and then you, like, steal his wife. Mm -hmm. Woo her heart to yourself, and then you take her to be your own wife. And even King Herod did that to his brother. Think about, like, 
friends. Like you, sometimes affairs even happen in the church. That none of us here is above a fall. None of us here. Take heed, you who stand, lest you also fall. That, that even in the church of the living God, we can be friends and we can get close and we do things that are intimate, like praying together. And even in the church of the living God, people can fall into this trap and have an affair. And it's your friend's wife or your friend's husband. And we, they have it's like, how in the world did... That's how deceitful sin can be. It can mess with our head. And he's saying here, fight the battle when it's in the desire stage. Fight the root at coveting. Because God, he's not just concerned with, did you kill someone? He's concerned if you have hate in your heart. God's not just concerned if you lie with your mouth. He's concerned, are you being honest with yourself? God isn't just concerned about if you steal and if you're uh, uh, lusting. I mean, or if you're committing physical adultery. He doesn't want you to have lust for things or, or, or lust for people in your heart. He wants you to have desires that honor him. And so this 10th commandment, he's saying, don't covet. And then just in case you're wondering, Jesus repeated this in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 7, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of a heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. It's like crazy. Adultery is murder, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. It's in the same list. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's not what you're hearing. It's not what's happening around you. It's what's happening inside of you. And those evil desires can corrupt your whole soul. If you're wondering, Apostle Paul to Timothy says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money isn't the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he says, it is through this craving, craving money, craving money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Think about it. You love God, you're worshiping him, and you're following him, and then craving money just kind of pulls you away from him. He says in Colossians 3, 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Covetousness. Put it to death, which is idolatry. You see the problem with covetousness is that it's idolatry. What you're saying is that thing that you're craving and that you're desiring is more important to you than hungering for God. That you want that thing and you think it'll satisfy me. It'll make me happy. It'll give me so much more joy in life. And you're craving if I just had more stuff, the bigger house, the nicer card, the more cushion in my bank account, if I just had, I could do whatever I want, I could travel wherever, if I just had more money, I would be more happy. And it's that craving for money and that coveting money and all of a sudden, it becomes the God of your life. And that's why God says, do not covet. He doesn't want you to have any other gods in your life. He doesn't want any idols in your heart. He doesn't want you playing him and cheating on him. He wants your affection and your love and your, your seeking and your pursuing and, and your worship to go to him. Not the things of this world. 
So how do you deal with coveting? We know coveting is not an option for the believer. It was given in the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. It was repeated by Jesus and Paul. And he's like, coveting, it, 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 it's like yesterday. Me and my kids were at my mother-in-law's house. And we decided, like, hey, my mother-in-law's in her 80s. And, and we're looking at the yard. And Sussie's uh, uh, family's, you know, they all have jobs, different things. And we're like, man, there's a lot of weeds in this yard. There was like at least 200, like little, the grass was getting cut, but the weeds were still there. And you could see how even the grass wasn't as green. And there was a lot more dead, deadness in between the grass and underneath the grass because the weeds were just getting out of control. And the weeds were spreading and they're sucking up all the water, sucking up all the energy, and the grass isn't getting as much water. And there's only one way to deal with the weeds. you got to pull them up from the root. You either got to get some weed killer and kill the weed, and who knows what else you're killing in the environment and killing it. I'm not super environment. I mean, I love the environment. I love God's pain. But I, I can get tempted to use some kind of sprays because it's a lot less work. But we said, no, we're going to go and meet my three kids and my wife. We're out there, and we're pulling them one by one. And we're trying the best as possible to pull them out from the root. Pull them out from the root. Deal with, and that's what coveting is, is it's not the above the surface. It's the root issue down deep in your heart. And you've got to pull it from the root. And you know what? If you let it get out of control, it takes a long time to get it back under control. I mean, there were some weeds along the fence that it was like branches. And, and we didn't have the right tools. And I'm like using a shovel to hack, hack the wood. And, and we're trying to get all the weeds out of there. And it, it is a major operation. And so how do you attack those evil desires in your life? And you could do a whole sermon series on stuff like this. How do you break free? How do you get rid of bondages in your life? And God does want you to be free. But I'll just summarize what I do. So when I was that young man, and I decided, hey, this year I want my affections only for God. No distractions. I need to get closer to Jesus. I want to control like an on-off switch. And so memorizing scripture helped me. If I start having impure thoughts, I thought I made a covenant and with my eyes not to live lustfully after a woman. It's in the book of Job. I think of Psalm 119. How could a young man keep his way pure by hiding God's word in his heart? And I would just quote him. See, you start, you, you know, your mind's going somewhere. It's like, okay, I'm going to bring my mind to Psalm 1. I'm going to take captive every thought by choosing to not think about those evil desires. But I'm going to, like a steering wheel, start quoting with my mouth scripture. And I'll start going, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. You start quoting, quoting the scripture, and it helps guide your thought. It's almost like chemotherapy, laser targeting. So if you're studying, if you're struggling with like, like lust of money, start memorizing scripture about generosity. If you're struggling with impure thoughts about lust of sexual kinds, start attacking that with the truth, almost like laser chemo targeted therapy on that sin cancer that's eating away at your soul. And so I would quote scripture. They would kind of guide my mind. And then I would start praying. Even as a married man, I'm like, Lord, I pray for my marriage. If thoughts start coming in, oh, you know what? That temptation, that's a trigger. I'm going to use that trigger now. I'm going to start praying for my daughter. Lord, let her be pure. Let her protect her. I pray, Lord, you would Bless her future husband. I start praying for my sons, Lord. I don't want them to be bound with pornography. And so I, I start getting these thoughts. If they're there, instead of feeding them and hanging out there, it's like, I'm going to get before the very throne of God and start praying. And as I'm praying, it's hard to think bad thoughts when I'm right at the feet of Jesus. 
And I imagine myself, I'm at the feet of Jesus. Lord Jesus, please forgive me because, man, something's going on inside of me and it doesn't please you. Lord, please forgive me. And right now, I'm taking this opportunity to pray and seek your face. And Lord, I do pray. Let your light shine in my life and my family's life and the church and the community. And I begin to pray. And for me, I don't know if ever you come up with your own strategy, between the word and praying, it's hard for me to start thinking lustful thoughts while I'm praying. And so the moment I start praying, it's taking captive that thought, and I'm shifting my desires. And instead, of it's pulling out weeds, but it's also cultivating a garden. It's cultivating a garden. You start praying the scriptures, Lord, I pray for your peace. I pray for your joy. Help me find satisfaction in you. You see, the Hebrew word for covet in its root form is just desire of all different kinds. It's uh, literally the word desire. It means kind of desire, but it's specific towards things. Let me read the, the root carries the sense of desiring in all its forms and conjugations. Although various synonyms, synonyms may be found in translations such as crave, find pleasure in, love, be precious. And so it's desiring, it's craving, it's loving. And so it's like saying, God, all right, we have desires that don't please you. God, will you fill me with good desires? Because the Bible doesn't say desiring things is bad. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself. You know my favorite dessert? Anybody remember? Cheesecake. <laughs> Cheesecake, you just thinking about my lips. I, I delight in cheesecake. <laughs> delight yourself in the Lord. Taste and see that he's good. Find your enjoyment and satisfaction in God. And then he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll do one of two things. He'll give you what you're desiring. Like we were desiring a house for our family and we were praying for a long time for a new house in Florida and we're desiring more than just a house but we're praying for this house and God gave us the desires of my wife's heart. <laughs> I wanted one neighborhood. She thought we were supposed to go to another neighborhood and her prayers won. But we got the house. Delight yourself in the Lord. But I'm saying this because you know what? The house isn't my joy, my satisfaction. It isn't my God. It's just a blessing and my delights in the blessor. Yes. Delight yourself. He'll give you desires and you have desires. Maybe you desire different things in life and he'll either want to do one or two things. He'll give you that desire or B, he will change your desire. At least that's what I found for the most part. I'm just giving you not like promises, but typical life wisdom. They, Often, you're praying about something, and this is, Lord, I desire this. And after a while, it's like, man, you stop desiring it. He's like, that wasn't what I intended for you. I'm giving you a different desire. And so he gave me the actual desire and changed the desire in my heart. You delight yourself. And so desire isn't bad. It says in um, the Apostle Paul, says in uh, Timothy, Who's in my place here? Sorry. But he says to Timothy that uh, whoever desires to be an elder desires a noble thing. So he's saying you want to be a leader for God. You want to be a leader in the church of the living God. You want to be an elder, a shepherd. And Paul's saying, hey, that's a noble desire. That's a noble desire. It's not even wrong to want to have an impact for God and to be a leader. 
He's saying that's, that's a good desire. So these desires is more like the why, the motive. And when you go to the Ten Commandments, it spotlights the motive. Why, why, why? Why isn't your own house good enough? Why isn't your own wife good enough? Why isn't your own co-workers or employees good enough? Why isn't your own ox or car good enough? Why do you want more? Why? What's your motive? It's not bad to desire impact. It's not desire to the bad desire things. It's the key is knowing like, is this going to become an idol in my life? Or is this going to be a tool to help me serve my God? Is this going to be a tool to help me impact my world? Is this, is this the end of what I'm seeking? Is it, this is it? Or is this just a means to a greater end, which is to bring glory and honor to my heavenly Father? You can be doing the same exact thing, but do it for the wrong motives, and it becomes an idol in your life. You can want to be a leader because you want to be powerful and have people respect you and be able to tell people what to do. And that's an evil desire. That's the boastful pride of life. Or you can say, hey, I want to serve. I want to wash feet. I want to be a godly man or godly woman. And I want to be a shepherd and help the body of Christ be healthy and, and be there for people and serve them and challenge them to spiritual growth. And that's a noble desire. And so I'm just going to finish with certain things I desire. And so what's beautiful is when in the New Testament it says, don't steal any longer. Let the thief know, don't steal anymore. But it doesn't stop with what you're not supposed to do. It says, let him be more generous. Let him be giving. It's like, hey, don't just stop lying. Let's be fully honest and vulnerable and transparent. Why? It's rooted in God's character. God is love. So how can we hate and want to murder him? God is truth. So why would we want to lie? God is faithful. So why would we want to cheat on our spouse or steal somebody else's spouse? It's rooted in who God is. And so as we're, uh, as we're telling the truth, as we're being generous, as we're not coveting things, it's saying, God, I want to be who you want me to be, and I want to fulfill all that you have for me to fulfill. And what you've intended for my life, that's what I want. I want your will and your desire. I want to use these things. And so here's seven desires. And so it's not just saying, oh, let me focus on it. Don't sin. Don't, don't, don't look at pornography. Don't, don't be staring at my neighbor's Porsche. Don't, don't, instead of focusing on the negative, it's, it's saying, God, fill me. What is your, it's, what's your desires? What are these good desires? Let me cultivate them like a garden. I got rid of the weeds, now let me plant some good seeds. And so what are seven good desires? One, I want my house to be a place of refuge for my family and a place of hospitality for my friends and neighbors. God gave me a house, and we were like about to buy a townhome, and the backyard would have been like right here. I was like, Lord, I'm in Florida. I want a backyard so I can have people here. And so I can rest and chill because I like to be outside and I can look at the stars at night and see my palm tree. And it's like, it's like, Lord, I want a place of refuge where I could come home and just be a place of refuge and peace and recharge. And, and I'm actually, you can ask my wife, building my own little prayer room in the garage. And it's my place to seek God and a place of refuge for my family. But it's also a place of hospitality because this house isn't my house. And it's my number one prayer when we pray for a house is put me in the neighborhood where I can impact my neighbors, Lord. Put me in a neighborhood where I can have the most impact in South Florida. That was my number one prayer. And so I was like, Lord, I want this house not to be the end, the American dream where, oh, I get this American dream, I'm happy. No, I want this place to be a place where, hey, if somebody needs a place to sleep, they can crash in my house. 
that if somebody here needs a vacation, you're only 30 to 45 minutes from the Florida Keys in, and we'll find a place for you to sleep, you know? <laughs> place of hospitality for my friends, my church family, for, uh, sorry, baby, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, just give us some advance notice, you know, it helps. You know, people show up and they went to our old apartment looking for us. So I want that, but I want it to be a tool to a greater end, to bring glory to God, to be a place of refuge and hospitality. Going, that's number seven, desire six. I want to keep growing as a father who prepares my children to face the world and to follow Jesus. And, you know, when I think about God, what are you doing in my life? I, I didn't have a father. I'm still learning. I just want to be a better father. I want to keep growing. I want to be where I'm at. I don't want to make excuses for my shortfalls that I didn't have an example. It's like, Lord, help me read a book. Help me look to others. Help me not get so consumed with work that I forget about my kids. I want to be a father that honors God and, and prepares my children to face the world and follow Jesus. I want to continually cultivate an intimate relationship with my wife. In Song of Solomon, it says, the, the, the woman's like, I am my beloved and his desire is for me. And so I want to have pure desire to be close and intimate with my wife. Make sure I'm doing, having date times and all. This is being recorded, so you can. <laughs> consistency, you know, consistency. I get excited and I go for a few months and we're consistent. I got to be consistent long term. And so, but I, it's interesting because even when I was that young man, going back to Josh McDowell, and before I was married, I would start laying in my bed at night and thoughts popped pop in my head and I would start praying. Lord, I don't want just some momentary fling. I don't want some momentary pleasure. I want the intimacy you created between a man and a woman. And Lord, I pray, help me wait. I pray for my future, for this person I like. I pray whoever her person is supposed to be, help her find them. If it's me, cool. If it's somebody else, bless that person. But Lord, I pray for whoever my future wife is. I want to stay pure for her. I want to love her before I ever know her. I want to be faithful to her before I ever met her. And I just would start praying for her. And I was like, Lord, I pray for the intimacy you created. I want that, Lord. And so... That's a desire. I want to cultivate that intimacy. It's easy. It, just because you had it doesn't mean you keep it. It's just like maintaining a yard. There's a garden. There's weeds. You've got to pull stuff out. You've got to plant and cultivate. And so, number four, counting down. I want to use all that God has given me for his kingdom in here. Well done, my good and faithful servant. If God has given me anything, whether it's money, whether it's things, whether it's my minivan, whether it's my gifts and talents, whether it's my time, my treasures, anything that God has given me, I want to use it for him. And when I see him face to face and I cross that finish line and I get it to heaven and I see Jesus for the first time, the words I want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. That's like a driving force in my life. That's my dream. That's what I wake up is, Lord, I want to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Counting down, I was 4-3. I want my hometown to see a revival, especially amongst the next generation. I want my hometown to see a revival, especially amongst the next generation. You know the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 3, actually 1 through 3, I love, this is the NLT, New Living Translation, it says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. He's being completely vulnerable. He's telling you from his heart, he's saying, honest to God. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, 
cut off for Christ is that would save men. See, Paul was called to Gentiles, to non-Jews. He's like, I still have a burden for my people. And I'm filled with sorrow and grief at the state of their spiritual lives. And if it meant that I had to be cursed or separated from Jesus, that they could be saved, that's how bad I long for my people to come to Christ. You have a burden for your people. Maybe it's not your culture. Maybe it's for youth and for children. Maybe God's giving you a burden for your neighborhood. Maybe he's giving you burdens for a city. But do you have a, a somebody that you would just say, Lord, if these people would come to Christ, I would be willing to suffer. And I, I'm on my, I, I lived in Chicago for 24 years, but I still read the Miami Herald newspaper online. And even before it was online, sometimes I would go to the downtown library when I lived downtown, and I would go to the main big library downtown here, Washington Library, and I would get the Miami Herald newspaper there and look at the Miami Herald newspaper. I have a burden for the place, the streets I grew up on. And I love to see God do a powerful work amongst the next generation. Paul had a burden for the Jewish people. And even though his calling was somewhere else, I'm sure his prayers still for his people. Do you have a place you say, wow, I'm even willing to suffer and sacrifice that some of them would come to Christ and be saved. For me, that's my hometown. Even uh, number two, counting down, I want my extended family to come to Christ, especially those I'm closer with. Like my brother in Naples, Florida, two hours away, even the family we we're staying with while we're here visiting, just have a burden where I keep praying and say, Lord, open their eyes. They've heard the gospel from us. Help us know when to share it again. Lord, send other messengers at work. They've heard it. Let Just bombard them, Lord. I have this burden for my family to come to Christ. And finally, the greatest one, the greatest desire, I just simply want to be closer to Jesus and fellowship with him daily. I just want to be closer to Jesus. Why do I even want to serve them? Why do I want to see neighborhoods come to Christ? At the end of the day, they might not come to Christ. Sometimes when you're serving your family, they may not love you back. Even when you volunteer with children's ministry or youth or whatever, you're burning a worship team, sometimes it isn't hidden in all cylinders. Sometimes you're leading and, and being part of a church, and it isn't what you expected. But at the end of the day, Jesus told Peter... In John chapter 21, then after he had resurrected and after Peter had failed three times and denied Jesus, and then Jesus rose again, and they're in the Sea of the Galilee on the shore, and Jesus is there making fish breakfast for them. They come in, like throw the nets over, they catch a whole other 150-some fish. Peter jumps in the water, swims. They have an awesome breakfast with Jesus. And then Jesus says, let's go for a walk, Peter. He's like, Peter, do you love me? Like, Lord, you know I love you. And he asked him this three times. Do you love me? And each time, Jesus says, then feed my sheep. At the end of the day, the reason why I serve you on my vacation, and the reason why what gets me to say, why would I serve anybody? It's not like, oh, I like I do like speaking. I like to be in the center of attention sometimes. <laughs> But that doesn't satisfy. That could become an idol. That could be coveting some other pastor's ministry. At the end of the day, why? What motivates me? I love Jesus. 
And if I can show some love to Jesus by feeding his sheep his word, boom! I love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You fed me breakfast, and I get to serve your people your word? Man, what an honor. I get to, like Jesus, you died for me, and I get to love you, and this is what you're asking me to do to show my love to you? Anything you want, Lord, I love you. And it's easy to coast in your relationship with God, to like grow and then hit seasons where you coast, or, or to let all these weeds and sinful desires start taking over and sucking up all the water and energy from your life. And then Jesus comes, knocking on the door, giving the promise of Revelation 3.20 that he gave to a church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and have a meal with them. Let's say I'll come into your living room, chill on your couch, and watch a movie with you. He's like, I want to go to the kitchen table or the dining room table. I want to sit across from you, and I want to have an intimate meal with you. He's knocking. He's saying, hey, you can have all these other idols and love all these things, but I'm a jealous God. I want your attention. I want your focus on me. I want your undivided, pure, passionate love. He's knocking and saying, you want to go out for breakfast? You want to have dinner? Revelation, I love the NLT. It says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. We're going to, in just a moment, have the Lord's Supper together. It's a time where we remember that he died on the cross and shed his blood, that his body was broken. Is there any weeds, desires, coveting, whether coveting people or coveting things? You need to say, Lord, pull this out of my heart. Help me cultivate a garden of pure desire in my heart. Is there any sins you need to confess? Anything you need to get right with someone? Jesus is saying, ultimately, are you closer to him today than you've ever been before? Or have you kept him outside on the porch? the whole song, this is my desire to honor you. Is that your ultimate desire? We'll just take a moment to pray. You can prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper. And in a moment, we'll bring out if anybody needs a cup, don't worry. We'll make sure. You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.